see you all here today. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we'd like to begin reading at verse 17. It's a passage that we went over a few weeks ago in conjunction with chapter 8 of Romans, but I would like to uh, bring us together there again and then, uh, depending on time, move back to our text in Romans chapter 8. But let's read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and beginning now at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To it that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. May God add a special blessing to reading this word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father, we thank You for this day, a beautiful day that You've created and we can be part of. Father, we lift Your name up today. We're thankful that we have access to Your word your love letter. Ultimately, Father, from a God that's loving to those that were created, Father, that were stained by sin. But as we've read in this text, your desire for reconciliation. Father, we'll thank you for those that have come out today. We ask that you would bless them and their families. We ask that you'd care for them. Father, we think of our nation as well. We think of the turmoil and all of the various aspects of what's taking place worldwide, but not only are we convinced, you declare for us that you are fully and completely sovereign and in control. Father, that's why we're here today. We want to get closer to you. Father, we enjoy the fact that you want to be intimate with your sons and daughters. Father, we'll thank you for what we will encounter today through the Word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher. May you bring us a sense of just peace and joy and further understanding of how awesome a God you are. We'll thank you for what you're going to do in advance. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as uh, Paul made mention over the last uh, couple of weeks, it's amazing how our world has changed. Um, the planet hasn't changed. It hasn't spun any faster or any slower. It's not moved any further away from the sun. The physical characteristics certainly remain the same. What has changed is perspective, how people view what's going on on planet Earth. I had said, I think it was last week, I told somebody, I said, if fear could be turned into money, we would have paid the national debt off last week. There's a whole lot of it going on, isn't there? It's an amazing thing of how people are literally at wit's end of 
trying to figure out what to do. And even though there's certainly a lot of unknowns, there are things that we don't know about this particular coronavirus. A virus in particular is an interesting thing. Um, it's really not living, but it's certainly not dead. It's the size, uh, and obviously they're different sizes. And you say, where are you going to go with this? Well, I'm going to talk about the worst virus ever and that there's a cure for it. And I'm not going to talk about the coronavirus. I'm going to be talking about another virus. But it would help us maybe to see, and I, was, I had a little clip that I couldn't find, and it's just two or three minutes long, and it actually gives us a really good perspective of how viruses actually work. Um, the size of them, it's relatively small, and that's the part, even literally, you can't really see what's going on because it's really quiet, and you can't really tell what's going on. But the polio virus from, that, remember that? Some of our younger folks don't, but polio was a really, really big deal. It was a really big deal. And the polio virus is 10,000 times, a, a polio virus, a single virus, is 10,000 times smaller than a grain of salt. <laughs> Whoa, right? But that part isn't really what makes it so sinister. A virus, as it enters the body through various means, uh, approaches a healthy living cell. And a virus is, has to have a host to move forward. It's really not, I'm going to say it again, it's really not alive, but it's really not dead, obviously. It has DNA material or RNA, which it's genetic code. We'll just leave it at that, genetic code. And then it's surrounded with good stuff. It's called protein. Most cells, when they see protein coming at it, it says, oh, good, this is good for us. This is good. It's typically, real, literally, food. And as that virus comes and would attach itself to that cell, unknowingly, it can either enter the genetic material into the cell or it, the virus itself will enter into the cell being welcomed. And it even becomes more sinister it passes on the genetic code to that living cell that's doing really well, and it all of a sudden replicates hundreds and up to thousands of exactly that same virus that had just entered. Through the machinery, if you will, I'm going to call it machinery, through the machinery of the cell that it's just invaded, unknown, literally, to the cell, and it becomes... So overpopulated, this, this is probably not, if there was a scientist here right now, he would say, Larry, you're, you're going too fast and too simple. But that's okay, because I think it really fits where we're going. And all of a sudden, that cell will explode. And you know what we've just done now? We've just made about 10,000 more of those little one virus that entered that cell, and it goes through the body. It's an insidious, silent killer. And I think that's one of the things that adds to the dimension of where we are when we have an unknown virus. I wasn't around when the polio thing hit, but it strangled our country. The Ebola virus strangled a world. The HIV virus strangled a world. The 1918 Spanish flu killed 50 million people. That's serious stuff, isn't it? Very serious stuff. In fact, you could go all the way back to the bubonic plague and 
millions and millions of planet inhabitants died. All at the size, right? I'm going to, just for this conversation, and there are different sizes, different shapes, but one ten thousandth of a grain of salt. <laughs> and I could go into more depth, but I'll, I'll choose to stay there because it can be very, very complicated. In fact, the HIV virus is one of the most complicated. It can still have the cell making its cell, but they ingrain within it the DNA of the virus. It is, it's almost like, whoa, exactly. So what are we to do? We'll hopefully end that question today as we complete our time together. But what I'd like to talk to you about, because it fits in this whole Romans chapter 8. What have we been talking about Romans chapter 8? Those of you who have been back, it's really the work, the action, the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 of Romans is just robust in the sense of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've kind of gotten about halfway through. And we touched on this for a moment, but literally the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in the sense of bringing us to God. Now, that word that I want that we saw several times in our passage that we just read was reconciliation. Reconciliation. What does that word mean? To bring together. To bring back together. Let's, uh, let, with, with us just focusing on that word and what we just said, let's go back to your scriptures you have opened, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start again in verse 17. I want you to just watch this flow along. I'm going to read it again, but keeping your eye on reconcile, reconcile, reconciliation. And let's go again. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To it, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, those four verses, five verses, uh, are really big on that whole concept. The word has continued to be repeated again and again of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, one of the things that keeps us from God is the virus called sin. It's the most insidious virus that we will ever know. Everyone since Adam and Eve have picked up the virus of sin. Can't get away from it, but I'm here, before you get depressed, just there is a cure. There's a cure. That's the one thing that everybody wants with the coronavirus is to hopefully find a vaccine, find some type of antidote that would allow us to ward off the incredible devastation that is at least thought to be at this point. Well, I'm here to say the worst virus that one could ever have, and unfortunately, it's 100% catchy. It's tricky. It's crazy. And it needs a host. It needs us, each one of us, 
to be active. That sin virus is what's kept us from God. In the Garden of Eden, it's so sinister too. It's just so tricky. I think of a virus as I was studying this. This has been some, some weeks ago. We were actually in Truth Seekers, and we were talking about um, ideas as being viruses. It's amazing how they can catch along with something. And, and, and it happened probably, I'm going to say, 40, 50 years ago. I should actually go back, and there, there's a kind of a time frame there where we've lost the sense of absolute truth. And what I mean by that, truth for everyone in all places for all time. That there's foundational truths that cannot be violated because it is absolutely true. And there was a time in which that started to just move away. And no, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, is that absolutely true? Then there must be at least one. You, you see, the whole thing is so absurd of how we've tried to destroy it. But from that point, literally what's happened then, there's no way to know what is absolutely true. So ideas can come, and unfortunately, ideas are just as sinister that are mistake-laden because you don't find out until later how serious the infection is, that it started on just receiving into the cell, a healthy cell, to replicate things that are untrue. Sin is much the same way. It takes charge of a host, and it continues to replicate and go crazy. And you know what? As one thing as a sinner, you can't stop sinning by yourself. can't stop it. You just can't do it. And this is what's really cool is God said, be reconciled. And you're saying, great. We have no defense. We have no way to do it. We have no vaccine. We have no... And you know what the really good thing was? Is God had determined that he wanted to save us. It wasn't like we got this great idea and we find out we're in deep trouble. Oh, we're sick. We got sin. We got the sin problem. Let's go call on God. No, we didn't even know we were sick. But you know what happened right after Adam and Eve sinned? You know what the first thing that happened to them? They were afraid. Because they hid from the very God they were fellowshipping with just the day before. Can you imagine walking in the garden in the cool of the evening or the late afternoon as you're going through a paradise, walking with God at your side? Oh, my goodness, just for a moment, right? In fact, my mind, I, I'm sure I can't even do it justice because I'm still from this side of the sin virus. But to think what that must have been from one day being totally untainted and the next day the sin virus had captured you. Right? I have no idea. But I'm probably thinking there would have been some domestic discussion. Eve, if you would have left your... Adam, if you would have protected me, right? And knowing at the end of that, it was so permanent, wasn't it? But the cool thing is, is this word we're talking about right here, reconcile, reconcile, reconciliation from God's perspective, it is also permanent, that word's big, permanent, eternal, forever. I like that word. I like that word in this case. Reconcile, to bring back together. One of the things I think would be good for us is to, uh, to go back and look at, essentially, this was by the will of God. He's described to us as a Savior, as a saving God. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the little book of Titus. See if you can find the little book of Titus. You'll find the Timothys, and then you'll find Titus just before Hebrews. 
There's a little page there called Philemon, but then you'll find Titus. Let's go to Titus, and I'd like to go to chapter 1. Each one, each one of the three chapters in Titus speaks of God as a Savior. But it's really good to start in Titus chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1, and I'd like you to see the description of God. First, uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Semicolon. Watch. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. <laughs> I'm really big on God right now. That is really, really cool. Before he made anything, of course, he's sovereign, all-knowing. There's nothing that would separate him from knowing any more than there could be possibly to know. Time means nothing because he created it. He's before and I can't even say after, for him, there's no beginning and no end. And it says before he made anything, he determined that he would literally save. He was pictured as a savior even in that word. Let's keep going. Verse 3, but hath in due time manifested or made known his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Um, now, I could, why don't you fill another word in there? God, our, excuse me, cure, I like that. That's what a Savior does, cures a big fat problem. We could also, the thing that, would, that brings even more attention to it is to say that, what if it said, God the prosecutor, God the judge, God the destroyer, God, do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't, he's not mentioned that way. It is God the Savior. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Uh, we, as we come to, um, go with me now to uh, chapter 2. Same book, Titus chapter 2. And let's look at verse 10 of chapter 2. And I'm, I'm kind of just diving in here. Verse 10, chapter 2 says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Turn over with me to chapter 3. Same book, little book of Titus. Chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. Watch this. For we ourselves, this is verse 3, chapter 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers or various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That sounds like what? What does that sound like? It sounds like America, doesn't it? There's a whole lot of bad stuff going on, but that's the way we were once. And it says, but afterward, after what? Verse 4, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy, Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. By the will of God, we are being asked to be reconciled. It's His thought process. It's His idea. I'd like you to turn you a little a story back you'll find in Luke chapter 19. You remember, if I was going to say the man Zacchaeus... Uh, what do you think of when I say the man or the word Zacchaeus? What comes to your mind? He was short. 
Why, why do we do that? Why do we say he was short? Because it says he was short. Okay? So let's go to Luke chapter 19. I want you to see something. Um, at this point, uh, Zacchaeus had never encountered Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, and are you all there? Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Uh, what does that mean? He was a jerk. <laughs> he was a little weasel. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, verse 3, and could not for the press or the crowd because he was little of stature. Okay, what are you going to do now? <laughs> find a tree. Doesn't that sound good? If you're short, you can't, get up, you can't see him, so he, go find a better, better angle to get up on, right? So it goes on to say, actually in verse 4, and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. Zacchaeus is trying to find a good seat as Jesus would be walking through this area. Now, again, I, I want you to know that Zacchaeus and Jesus had never seen one another. Hadn't happened before. Zacchaeus is just looking on to see what's going to go on. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus. Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. <laughs> Whoa, what's that about? All of a sudden, now he's just a pastor, or, or Zacchaeus is just an onlooker, and now Jesus is what? Seeking him. He is seeking him. Verse 6, And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that would be the onlookers, probably the Pharisees, and said, they all murmured, saying that. He had gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Uh, remember what we said, the virus, the sin virus? Okay, so let's see what he does. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I, gave, I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold, four times. Now, I'm, I'm just saying, that's pretty crazy. Jesus hadn't even said anything. This guy's got such a guilty conscience that he said, Yo, I'm going to give half of everything I have right now, and if, I, if I've cheated him, I'm going to give him four times that much. And Jesus hadn't even said anything. <laughs> oh, to be in the presence of Jesus, right? Let's keep going. So then he says this, verse 9. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man... What? Oh, this is a great verse. For the son of man, this is me, Jesus Christ, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that good? Here's this man he's never met before, and he's literally saying, I'm here for you. You're one of the ones I came to save. That's God the Savior. Let's turn back to 1 Timothy for a moment. We'll go back there for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 1, 1. <clears throat> I want to make sure and drive this home because this is, this is key uh, as understanding where reconciliation, reconciliation started from. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. There's a lot of people today that are so fearful of what's taking place, their hope is literally gone. It's gone. Now, our hope uh, is in Jesus Christ because God is a Savior. Uh, same, same First Timothy, turn to chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> 
Oh, I should, I'm going to have to, let's go back to uh, verse 2, same chapter, verse, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, to hold the context, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So it's key to understand that this whole concept of reconciliation would first and foremost come because it is of the will of God. Now, just because it's the will of God, that doesn't necessarily make it, that doesn't fix it, right? Because we got some, we got some obstacles. And, and I'm sure in your life, there's been obstacles in your life that has kept you from either going somewhere, going to somewhere, or literally it just gets right. Have you ever had those obstacles? They're called roadblocks. They're called, oh, I did not see that coming. That kind of stuff. Obstacles. Well, there's some this in this uh, sin virus as well as how to be reconciled or to be getting back to God because it had separated us. Sin is a separator to miss the mark. Well, thankfully, the scripture tells us that Jesus satisfied the holy requirements of the law. He, he got it done. In fact, let's go back to 2 Corinthians for a moment now. And it tells us, In verse 21, that God made him to be sin for us. He, he literally took our sin and all of the world's sin, and he placed it on Jesus Christ. Now, as he's hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ is... Did Jesus Christ become a sinner because we put our sin on him? No. No, but everything that sin represented from being... had to being paid... To God, all of that wrath and all of that fury, all of that thing that God had to deal with because he's perfect and righteous in every way, holier than we can even comprehend, that was on Jesus Christ. Hard for, we, I, I, can't, I can't display that for you. I, I, there's no way for me to describe that for you. But to think of all of the sin was paid for by him. And at the bottom, it said, paid in full. I love those statements when I get them from somewhere. <laughs> paid in full. Isn't that good? That's so good, isn't it? Paid in full. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, because he did the work. But it gets better. This is the greatest thing, and we talked about it a few weeks. This is the best thing in the world. Not only did we get rid of a problem, and you say, I'm just flat broke now. I have no sin, but I'm broke. I have nothing. No, it's way better than that. In fact, it's called the concept of imputation. And how many of you were imputing anything this week? Not so many. Okay. At any rate, it's, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened is not only did Jesus Christ take our penalty for the sin virus that we couldn't do anything about, he took that upon himself, and God judged it, and then he took Christ's righteousness because he never sinned. I can't get that either. I can't tell you what that's like. But he took his righteousness, and he placed it in our account. He imputed his righteousness to our account, and he imputed our sin to Jesus' account. We could just sit here for hours and contemplate that. To think of that is amazing. Not only are you 
you're, you're, you, you have nothing, you have no assets, you're, you're not just clean, you're, you're, you're paid in full. No, 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 no. You have all of the riches that are in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that placed you there. And that's what we've been talking about in Romans chapter 8, you guys that have been here and listening to that. It is mind-blowing. So all of a sudden, the sin virus is not only gone, it's replaced with the righteousness of God. And you say, I don't feel like that every day. That's right, because we still have that sin nature. We still war. There's still war going on. Chapter 7 of Romans, Paul declares that for us. But long and short, when you trust Christ as your Savior, the sin virus is gone. It's fixed because the power of the Holy Spirit got it done. So it's not only the fact that Jesus satisfied that. He bore the guilt of it. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 for a second. Romans chapter 5. The, the, the perspective of this is also very important. <clears throat> Something that for us in, the, in, the, in, in America today, or really across our world, our world is almost joined, it seems now, with the, all of the communication skills that we have or devices. Um, it, it's almost like we've become just close than we've ever been. Verse 5, chapter 5 of Romans says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And He imparts love that's God's in your heart. You know, things that we can make a difference of today, in our country today, is literally to reach out with love. That's the greatest apologetic for Christianity. When we act of what we have. Now, it's easy to get in, the, in all of the sway of things going on societally, and I mean, it, it's amazing. Fear and greed today are out of control. And those are two emotions of which you cannot make the right decision. If you're fearful or greedy, you can't make the right decision. You know why? Because it's rooted right in the virus of sin. It's rooted right there. But I, want, I have to share this verse because it popped in my head. I was going to wait till, till later, but uh, we've been talking about the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. First John, we may even come back to it again just to reiterate it. 1 John chapter 4, and we're gonna, we'll just start in uh, verse 11. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. That's capital S. That's the Holy Spirit that lives within you if you've trusted Christ. He's transforming you from the inside. And we have seen, verse 14, and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, you just see this concept over and over again. Reconciliation. They desire, they being the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. It's, it, you see it? It's just Now keep watching. Verse 17. This is the verse I wanted to get you to. Herein is our love made perfect 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. And sorry, verse 18 was the verse I wanted you to see. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. What do you think we're the shortest of in America today? I'm going to go with love. I'm going to go with love. And God is love. God is love. It's the Holy Spirit that changes our heart. But not only is reconciliation is it the will of God, there has to be forgiveness of sins, that justification. Let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's look again at verse 19. Where it's almost, we've already talked about it, but let's, let's look at this verse in, re, in response to it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, To it, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, that was that's that imputing word, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Sin was dealt with. It was taken care of. Turn back with the Romans chapter 4 and verse 8. Romans chapter 4 verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That is bold and grand, is it not? Now, the other thing is, is just because sin has been judged and it was judged in Jesus Christ and it's by the will of God, uh, there's another component that has to be instilled here to have the sense of reconciliation. We must obey by faith. We have to respond in trust. We must respond by accepting and believing what he has said to be true. Let's turn to Rome. Are you back in Romans yet? Romans chapter 10 and just look at verses 9 and 13. Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 13. He says very clearly that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is an act of faith, an obedience of faith. And we've talked about the sense of substitution. That's the greatest thing that could have ever happened is as Jesus Christ took my place on the cross, took my sin, took your sin, took all of the sins of everyone that would ever believe, and it's done deal. It's finished. It's over. It's complete. Nothing left. And the sin virus has been wiped out in its, in its penalty and in its power. Now, that flows us right into where we were going in Romans chapter 8. I would like to go there for a second now, and I want to see literally what happens as a result of that is you become adopted kids of God. Now, when I say adopted, many times it's like, well, that's kind of second rate. No, not when this book was written in Romans. I'm going to show what we want to do now. I'm going to show you three examples of adoption from the Old Testament. And one of them fits exactly where you are if you've trusted Christ in the adoption that the Holy Spirit does. But let's go to uh, Romans chapter 8 for a second. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Romans chapter 8. And this flows along with what we've been doing in the last number of weeks. Last week, you looked at the key to the victory over sin, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now watch verse 14. He's also the spirit of adoption. For as many as are led, verse 14, chapter 8, Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Those three verses are so rich. See, I don't really care what new virus comes along down the trail. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care. Now, we need to be responsible. We need to do what we need to do to be as safe as we can. It literally means nothing because it's on this side of eternity. God is fully and completely, because of what Jesus Christ did, if we accept Him as our Savior, which God has determined to do, we are safe in the arms of Jesus forever. Virus or no virus. And the worst one is sin. He conquered it, owns it, done with, over with. Now, as I promised, let's go to a couple of passages where it describes adoptions. And now I've lost my notes. That'll be a problem for a moment. Actually, it's a big problem for a long period. I didn't write them down. Good deal. All righty then. We're going to improvise. I don't know where I would have wrote that. I must have left another page. This will be interesting from this point on now. Okay. <laughs> I just want everybody to know that. Um, this is truly winging it. Okay. So, so let's, I think it's in Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to tell the story as you go there. Uh, the first adoption we actually see is in Exodus chapter 2, and there's this Israel, Israelite family that is living in Egypt. And at that time, the Israelites were gaining in the sense of multitude, and the Egyptians were not very happy about it. They were really up, rather upset by it because they were seeing them being too powerful, and now they had asked that all of the children were killed at birth. And there was a family, a, a mom and dad that came up with a plan. And they have this little boy. And they put him in a little basket. And they put him out along the river in the reeds. And then they send his sister to just watch. What do you think is going on at home on that deal? How would you moms like to have, have a little child and you know you can't have him at home because if they found you, they would just kill it? In this case, him, I'm not, not an it. You get what I'm saying? Him or her. Let me do it that way. It's better. Him or her. And, and you say, well, what's my plan? Well, let's, let's just put it in a basket and put it in the river. That doesn't really sound very good, does it? That doesn't sound like a mom's deal, but it was probably the safe. But they had, what was it, Miriam? Was that the, that was, and she's watching it from a distance. And here comes Pharaoh's daughter. Dun, 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 coming out to bathe. And she sees this basket. I wonder who is in charge right now. Called God, right? And she's, well, look at that. And she knew immediately what? It's an, it's an Israelite's baby. She, she, it didn't take too long to figure this out, okay? And she takes it in, falls in love with it immediately. You could just see it, just boom. Oh, look at this. And here comes the little girl. I mean, they, she needed a name for the day here. Wasn't this perfect? Oh, can I help you? Should I find someone to take care of this baby for you? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a great idea. Which, where would she go? Back to mom. Now, it's, isn't that beautiful? But it doesn't end there. See, it's much bigger. God has way more things going on than that. In fact, that Pharaoh's daughter adopted, adopted 
this little boy who she called Moses. And you know the rest of the story. He became the leader of le literally leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He lived 120 years. The first 40 years he was in Egypt, thought he was something. And then for the next 40 years, God showed him he really wasn't much, but he was working on him to take the last 40 years to lead his people where he needed to lead them. He was one of the meekest men ever known on the face of the earth. That's power under control. That's Moses. Now, I want to step back and say, why did Pharaoh's daughter adopt Moses? I'm going to suggest probably out of sympathy. She just fell in love with this little guy. And she said, oh, what will happen if I don't? Right? Sounds logical. It's out of sympathy. Now, the second example we'll find in Esther. Esther chapter 2. How am I doing so far? Am I winging this okay? Because <laughs> I don't know what I do with my notes. I know where they're at. They're on my desk, probably in the office. But Esther chapter 2. Now, if you'll study that chapter, you'll find that Mordecai was actually her uncle. And her mom and dad, we don't know what happened, but they were no longer there. So Mordecai takes his niece and raises her, adopts her just as his own daughter. And you know what happened there. Esther's a really interesting book. That's the one book you'll find you read it all the way through, and you know what word never shows up? God. And yet he's in every single verse. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. And to watch how Esther was for just a time such as this. I've, I've loved going through that book. But now let's take a step back. Now, why would Mordecai would have basically said to have adopted his niece? Probably out of responsibility. He was doing what he needed to do. He was doing what he was probably should do. Anything wrong with it? No, there's nothing in the world wrong with this. And now I'd like to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This one we'll need to read. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want us to see a picture that is really exactly what we're talking about on the adoption that God does for us. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I think I'm right. If not, we'll be close and we'll figure it out. Yeah, there it is. Okay. So what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, I'm going to read this like 13 verses, right? 13 or 14 verses? Perfect. I'm going to read it. And again, you're knowing that this is a story of adoption, but I want you to see, and I keep looking to see if my notes showed up and they still haven't. So how about that? Second Samuel chapter 9. Let's start now in verse 1. David said, Is there yet any, th any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. He's crippled. The king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machor, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. I have to stop because there's so many things I want to say. And, and I just, let, let's just stop for a minute. Uh, where, what is the pick, what's going on here? What's our time frame? Who's David? What's David doing? Who is he? He's the king. Right now he's the king. Who is Jonathan, and who is Mephibosheth, and who is Saul? How does this all fit together? Okay, who's Saul? He was the first king of Israel. And how, what was the relationship between David and Saul? 
It's probably the only time that a father wanted to kill his son-in-law. Repeatedly. Repe well, <laughs> but I said repeatedly. Yeah, you're probably right. There's probably others. But, but at the same time, here's the king, and he's King Saul, and David is... You don't find David doing anything other than admiring, caring for, and respecting his father-in-law. What was the problem? It was a pride problem. It was a... It was a, it was a what, what's the... Um, oh, I'm going to stop. I can't figure it. I can't think of the word. Sorry. At any rate... Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, stop. You mean, why does David care about this crippled guy named Mephibosheth? See, Jonathan and David were like that. They were really, really close friends. They were his tight friends. We could go to the Scripture and find that, but I'm not going to do that today. He, they were so close, and Jonathan really took David's side when he was with his dad, Saul. And he said, Dad, this is wrong. This is flat wrong. And Saul just, I mean, he was so incensed, so jealous, so enraged with how God was really using this young man, David. Remember David? It all started with David and Goliath, right? David trusted God, and God delivered the Goliath to this young little whippersnapper, right? He's got a sling and three stones, and Goliath's this monster. Who was the biggest, tallest, toughest guy in Israel? Saul. Whose battle was this supposed to be? Do you think Saul, do you think Saul couldn't have handled the Goliath? Couldn't have handled, with God, he could have. He wasn't willing to trust. At any rate, so Mephibosheth, his name means, it's written in my notes. Um, I don't remember. How's that? Lodibar. Have you ever been to Lodibar? There's no pasture. It's a barren land. <laughs> That's what that means. That's where he's living. He's really a nobody living nowhere. That's who Mephibosheth is. And David, out of the blue, because he had made a promise to his friend Jonathan, he said, you know what? I'm going to take care of your family. And at this point, some years have went by. I'm going to suggest between 15 and 20 years have taken by be between the time that Saul and Jonathan were killed in war. There was a battle, and they were destroyed. They were killed. And basically, the whole family of Saul, there was, this was the one person left. This, excuse me? Absolutely. No. And why do you think Mephibosheth comes to me? He's bowing before him. He said, I'm your servant, because he thinks he's probably there because he's dead meat. I mean, he, why, why would Dave... Well, think of it. I'm the grandson of the one that tried to kill you repeatedly. And now you've called for me to come into your... You get it? <laughs> Watch this. So in other words, Mephibosheth has nothing to offer. Zero. Does this sound like it's just exactly what's described for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we just talked about? And then following through with the fact... Adoption? Watch. Let's, let's, let's keep watching it. Where did I leave you off? What verse did we stop? Eight. Eight. Okay. Oh, no. It was verse... Uh, we're starting verse 7 because I want you to see this. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show... Did you see what he was full of? He was full of fear, obviously. He didn't have anything. It just looked bad. David said, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he, this is Mephibosheth, he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, that's where this all started, and said unto him, I have given unto thy 
I have given unto thy master's son all that is pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So all of a sudden, you've got land that was not even his before he walked in there because it, it had just basically been gone. And now David said, all of the land of Saul will be restored. And I want you, 36 guys, to take care of that. And that is Mephibosheth's. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Oh, my goodness. That's an adoption based on what? Grace, mercy, and love. You, there's not another reason that that should have happened. That is the most perfect picture in the Old Testament of what God did for us as the adoption of sons and daughters by the power of the Holy Spirit. We look at it as a, as a picture of grace. That's a picture of adoption. He is on the same level as a son. Now, in the Roman, actually in the Romans, when Paul would have written this, how amazing that note still hasn't magically shown up. So, <laughs> The Romans in that day, actually, if, you would, if, if a father had sons in his family... And they just weren't up to par, I'll say that. He could actually go around and find someone, a son, that wasn't his son, to make him an adopted son to take his inheritance and his estate. And he was treated not just as an... This is what I want you to see. Adoption, in this case written to Rome, is right at the level of sonship. Blood included. Not a lesser state. It's actually an elevated state. God has said, not only are you adopted, you're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I, are, you, I mean, are you starting to get the... Imp All of a sudden, the sin virus is a nothing virus. Because God conquered it forever. And not only did He conquer it, not only did He save us from sins, He made us His sons when we were alienated. And He chose to reconcile us. Oh, what do you think? Woo, yeah, woo, what, what is... And it's all about God. It's all about God. In fact, there's quite a bit of stuff that's on my notes that I don't think I'm remembering right now. <laughs> it's still cool. But let's go back to Romans now, and I want, to, I want us to look at something. There's something here in Romans chapter 8 It would be a pity if I found my notes right after I was done with you, wouldn't it? No, it won't happen. Romans chapter 8. And let's go back and read those verses one more time. Verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I'm going to come back to that for a moment. We're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I want, I want to just key on those two words for a second. Abba, Father. 
What does that mean? Abba, Father. Daddy. Papa. There's a sense of, there's real intimacy there. There's something, it's beyond the fact of just an address between a son, and again, I want you to get this. It's not just what we, our perception, it is not our perception of adoption as it is in our, this is talking full-scale sonship. And you can approach your father with Abba, Father, or Daddy. There's a sense of intimacy. Now, I want you to see something. Now, keep that in mind. Let's go back to, I'm guessing now, um, I'm going to try Mark 12:46. We will see how far off I am. Not good. There's not a 46 there. Um, okay, I'm going to. This this is really important though. I'm going to have to find it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it is, and then you guys can help me. Because I want you to see the same thing that you have the right to say, Abba, Father, Papa, is exactly what Jesus did as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he addressed God the Father with the same terminology. Puts us on the same as co-heirs, as not adopted, but as sons of God. Oh, Which, which book in? Mark? Okay, let's get there. I apologize, I'm sorry. But by the time I went home to get my notes, it probably wouldn't work out either. So, Mark 14, 36. Of 38, is that what you said? Yeah, there it is. Yes, 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 yes. I was in the right book, wrong chapter. Now, let's watch. I want to I build it, though. See, I give it away. It was not nearly as much fun when I tell you what I'm going to talk about. Mark chapter 4, and let's start in verse 32. This is after the, the Last Supper, the last time they're together. It says in verse 32, they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit you here while I pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. I mean, emotionally and and spiritually, I mean, extremely weighted. Verse 34, and said unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry you here and watch. He went a little further. I'm sorry. He went forward a little, fell on the ground and prayed if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. The very, the very same words that Jesus, on the night of his most fullest sense of, I don't even know what, what, what oppression, all of these things are just weighing on him. And he addresses God the Father the same way as you, as adopted sons and daughters, because of what Jesus Christ has done. And if you accept him by faith, the Holy Spirit has placed you into him, and the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he's saying the same thing. You can address him as Abba, Father. Do you see what rights you have? Oh, my goodness. Wild. Wild. We'll go back to Romans now. We're, we'll spend the rest of our time, or just about the rest of our time, in Romans chapter 8. And I want to look at one thing here. It says, for his, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. One of the ways that we know that we are the sons of God is the fact that we are led by the Spirit. Not that we receive the Spirit, 
He affirms it, but he affirms it by being led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? Now, one of the things the Spirit does not do is to lead you violently. It doesn't drag you by the hair and say, you're coming with me. Sometimes he should. In fact, we almost would say, why don't you do that, right? But what, again, how are we saved? By love and grace. And there's a part of love that says that I want you to love me. And if you love me, you will do my commandments. I'm not going to force you because then it wouldn't be love. And most of, if you notice, most of man-made gods, it's about appeasing. It's trying to get through it, to work our way or whatever it might be. God is not that way. He's asking us to love Him because of what He's done for us. He loved us before we loved Him. To be led by the Spirit. What does that mean? Let's turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. A very familiar passage to most of you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct your paths. Through the, the power of illumination, that is to take God's word and when you've trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and when you use the word of God, all of a sudden it becomes illuminated. You start to see things that you've never seen before. You see how God is working and using and and illuminating, that is to shine light upon His Word, and it opens your mind, it opens your heart to ways that you couldn't even imagine. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. <clears throat> Wherefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. You see, that love that God has for us literally allows us, as he, we, we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that He illuminates or He actually sheds His love within our hearts, allowing us to be full of love as well. Which today, quite honestly, if there was anything we needed in a world that has gone crazy, is love. I'd like to share a few verses with you that I would have you tuck away for the craziness that we find in our world today. Let's start I'll give you five of them. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 41. If you can find Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That is very comforting to know all of these things that are just over. And how much, how much fear is just about uncertainty? How many of you, after watching the last two weeks, what do you think it's going to be like next week? <laughs> or who knows, right? But what, what did he just say? Fear not. Why? Because you're smart? Fear not because you do not? No, fear not because I am with you. Because I am with you. Let's turn to the next one. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 
Actually, this is a funny story. Did you see this? Uh, I think it was on Fox uh, News. I saw it on my phone, but there was a, <laughs> there was a little boy. There was a boy and a girl, um, brother, sister. Let me see. What did I, I got to get to my... I can't do two things at once. You've noticed that before. I'm going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. As I'm doing that, there was a... Anyway, there was this uh, family, and uh, the mother was watching this, and she actually filmed it. And here was this little boy, and he had been watching too much news. Because he was, and he was actually uh, autistic. And there was just, his personality was, it was easy to become very, very fear. If he was hearing things, he wasn't able to process fully. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of adults today that are not being able to process properly, right? Okay? So it's, anyway, this little boy is getting more nervous and more fearful. And his little sister, she's seven. And I think he's five. I think, I'm, I don't remember his age, but she was older. She's seven. And so all, she watches this meltdown taking place. And she grabs him, and she's face-to-face, and she reads this verse, okay? That'll make you remember, just knowing it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And she kept saying it to, this little, to her little brother, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, and of a sound mind. <laughs> and this little guy's just taking it, right? He's just taking it in. But you know what? There's a lot of strength there, isn't there? There's a lot of strength there. There's a lot of strength there. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Imagine that. Back to Romans chapter 8. But we're going to go to the end. We're going we're to go to a passage that we haven't dealt with yet. Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verses 38 and 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. <clears throat> For I am persuaded. He's counting on it. This is something that he's fixed on, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, that pretty much covers it, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate you from God if you're in Christ Jesus. Nothing. There's not a virus made. And by the way, I'm convinced of this as well. After this coronavirus... There'll be another, and another, and another. How do we react? Responsibly. But I'm going to say this, in love. Because God, because the Holy Spirit has shed love abroad in our hearts. There was actually one of the things I, I might ask for you as well. If there's anyone that you know that knows some elderly people that do not have adequate either food or supplies or whatever. I was texted this week by someone who said that there are some supplies set aside for those that are in need and it will cost nothing. We're here to take care of people. So let us know. Let us know. Because that's, that's how, again, it wasn't me. Robbie Zacharias, who I, I dearly admire, um, and he says that love is the greatest apologetic. And that's coming from an apologetic guy. I mean, he's so cool, right? But really, literally, Christian love. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts the love that he has shown for us. We ought to love others. Why? Because he first loved us. I've got a couple more. Philippians chapter 4. All of these verses I'm giving to you are ones that you should not only write down, but make them part of your regiment of favorite verses. Philippians chapter 4. And there's obviously others as well. But this, this is uh, what I'm going to do. For, these are the ones that came across my mind. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 4. Paul's in prison here. 
things aren't really going his way. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand, verse 6, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One of the things I'm thankful for is just the very fact of where we live. I'm so fortunate to have friends and neighbors and just, I'm going to just say fellow citizens in this country. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful that you pray for me. I'm thankful I get to pray for you. Really, I am. I'm thank- and again, when you, guys, when you guys choose different seats, it really messes me up because I've got in my mind, see, i got that, and then when you switch places, it's hard for me. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. What were we thankful for this week? Exactly. Not enough, right? What did you say? The end of it. The end of it. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. One more. Simple one. One we need to live by. First Peter. First Peter. Find First Peter. Chapter 5 and verse 7. <clears throat> We'll start at verse 6, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And I would like to leave this as our last impression for the day. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'd like to start in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long, or love. I'm going to, charity is in the King James. You can plug in love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. That's what we need now, here, and across the world. It's up to us to share the very things that God has done for us, in us, and then now through us. We need to step it up. As the fear and greed has literally permeated our entire society, what stands out as a light or a diamond on a black background is love. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the love that you shed abroad in our hearts because of what Jesus Christ took care of. The sin virus, the most deadly ever that will ever be, you provided the cure. 
you reconciled us to yourself through the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, while we don't know a lot of the future, we don't know anything about the future, quite honestly, but we know you do, and we know who holds tomorrow. It's you. Father, we rest in you. We would ask now at these tumultuous times, these times that seem to be out of control, we ask you, Father, to show us what we can do to offer love, to offer a sense of peace and joy. May we rise to the occasion as you instill within us the power and the strength that you have. Father, we pray for those that are struggling for whatever reason. We would ask that you'd bring them into our lives and that we would respond, Father. We thank you that we don't have to fear because love casts out fear. 1 John chapter 4. Thank you, Father, that you are stronger than anything. And thank you that you have chosen to save us. You set it out. The plan was in motion. Jesus Christ accomplished it. The Holy Spirit is on the sidelines convicting those that they need a Savior. And when one trusts Christ personally, then the Holy Spirit indwells them, empowers them, and we are adopted sons of yourself. We can't even contemplate the, the marvelous grace and love and mercy that we are the recipients of. May you unfold for us, especially in times like this, the impact, the, the magnanimity of how awesome you are. Take us and use us. We rest at your feet. For we are yours because of what Christ did on Calvary. We thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.